We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. Today's episode is brought to you by the Bronx Brewery and the Bronx Banner Ale. This Golden Easy Ale is our go-to beer before, during, and after Yankee games. It's available in over six sections at the stadium and a number of the bars in the surrounding area. If you're at the game, you can find it in center field, in the bleachers, at the Masters Pass batter's eye. They're pouring it at that bar. And then also behind where they do roll call in section 203. If you are not at the game, go to thebronxbrewery.com slash find, select Bronx Banner in the dropdown, enter your zip code, and you'll find out the closest bar or store that sells Bronx Banner Ale. Let's get into the show. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 147. Scott, how you doing with this West Coast baseball? You tired? Yes, the the first game I actually stayed awake all the way through. I did not plan on it. I had That's planned on watching. I know I got well. First of all, the NBA uh, game five or whatever was on, so I, I kind of had that on, and it had a couple different screens going. And that 
that got me to like, I don't know what time it was, like 11, 30, 12 o'clock almost. And so I'm watching Tanaka pitch. And then Tanaka's pitching well. I'm like, man, I can't turn it off now. I got to watch Tanaka pitch. I want to watch, you know, everything about what's going on right now. Because to me, it's fascinating uh, watching him pitch now, unless it's done in the second inning. So, yeah, I was awake all the way through that game. And then uh, and then last night, Tuesday, or Tuesday night, I made it to like the eighth inning when Tyler Clipper gave up that home run. I was like, I'm out of here. That's the thing. You either got to make the decision and fully commit or you got to do what I did on Monday. And I went to bed before first pitch. Yeah, you're right. You could, because once it starts, then once it then starts, you're roped in. And and roped. Tuesday night I watched and I was going to continue watching. And then CC left the game with an injury. And I was like, all right, this could get ugly quickly. And it's a good thing because it was extra innings. So I don't know how people do it with West, with, uh, West Coast baseball. It's impossible to follow a team on the West Coast if you're living on the East Coast. No, you just can't. Unless you just don't function as a human being during the day or you don't have any reason to, then you can do it and you can stay up all night. But me, if I don't get some sleep, I am worthless the next day. So lots of things go down the drain. And uh, it's more fun to, um, to to be actually alert during the day than to be completely freaking worthless and watch an extra inning game. So I'm just glad they have condensed highlights now. Yeah, there, there's a lot of people probably listening right now saying we're acting like we're 55 years old and neither of neither of us are close to that age. So, you know, but I can't do it either. Well, that being said, I did watch most of the first two games. <laughs> so, <laughs> Coming up later in this show, we're going to talk to Clark Schmidt, the Yankees first round draft selection out of the University of South Carolina. So stay tuned for that. Also, take a second to rate and review the podcast in iTunes or wherever it is that you listen. It really helps the show out. It helps us grow the show. Get on interviews like Clark and do other things with the podcast. We really appreciate it. Give us that five-star review. So, Scott, as we were saying, uh, the Yankees draft selections this week, I've noticed a trend. I don't know about you, and it's power right-handed pitching. Yeah, lots and lots of pitchings. Day two or day one was all right-handed pitching, the first and second rounds. And then you go on day two and you get six more pitchers. I think they've sprinkled in an outfielder, but it's pretty it's pretty clear what they're doing right now. They are they are loading up on arms. If you look at what is happening, uh, you know, close to the major league level, they have a lot of position players all over the place. And the one area that is lacking, I'd say, in the farm system is the pitching. So that's what they did. They, uh, they, they restock the shelves. Yeah, it, it is more risky, though, of an approach to go with pitching versus position players. I mean, just look at their first-round pick. He's out with Tommy John surgery. They're not going to see him pitch until at least late next season. Yeah, and isn't that funny? And I know we're going to talk to him about that because I'm kind of fascinated on the decision-making on you know when to go under the knife and you know how that decision came about because – it almost seems like it's a good thing now if the kid has Tommy John surgery already, so that the team doesn't really have to worry about it afterwards. Yeah. It's like it's like we're gonna we're gonna get fixed before we come to you, so we'll wait on the front rather than uh, you know getting derailed in the middle of a career. Yeah, I mean, it didn't really hurt his draft selection. He still no. went in the middle of the first round. What would he have gone? Maybe top twelve or top ten? But he went sixteenth overall. So he's still getting a giant check from the Yankees. So if you're Clark Schmidt, you're like, hell yeah, give me that surgery. Yeah, no, it's fascinating because 10 years ago, you know, maybe even not even 10 years ago, Tommy John surgery was like, you know, the end of careers. And now with the technology the way it is and the way that the medical profession has advanced, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a thing that's almost 
you're seeing almost every young pitcher. It, 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 I swear to, it's like 50%, maybe more than that. I don't know what the percentage is, but it's a lot. It seems like a lot of these guys are going under the knife at some point. It's funny. I was actually reading something f- about Clark uh, and Tommy John surgery, and uh, not to spoil what we're going to talk to him about, we don't even know what we're going to talk to him about at this point, but I think three or four of his teammates uh, in college had had Tommy John surgery. Four college kids have already had Tommy John surgery on one team. Dude, I'm telling you, it is because of the amount of uh, of uh, isolation that these guys are doing and playing baseball all year round and playing so much of it with travel ball. These guys are just throwing so much in early ages, catching up to all of them. I swear to God, that's it. I know there's no proof. I've seen all the 30s for 30s about this stuff, and nobody can really put their finger on it. Now you're an it. expert. Yeah, but I'm just no. I, again, using my uh, that's my gut. Just too much, too much travel ball. Yeah, might be. Um, so let's get into what the Yankees are doing at the major league level. Uh, Aaron Judge is, the, I think, now clearly the face of the Yankees. And he hit that home run on Monday night. When I woke up and saw that he was the one who gave them the lead in the eighth inning on Monday night, I don't want to say I was surprised, but it's just another amazing thing that he did. Um we talked all winter that Gary Sanchez was the face of the Yankees. How lucky are the Yankees that they can have Jeter retire, A-Rod retire, and then poof, in a half a season, they stumble upon Gary Sanchez, and it looks like El Kraken's going to be the face of the franchise. Well, two months into this season, and Judge has already taken that over. It's, it's ridiculous. Not only has Judge taken over the, the face of the Yankees, I, this guy is the face of Major League Baseball right now. I, he is. He, I'm. I'm not joking. He's the most popular player in baseball right now. With Trout out, yes. Yeah, look at the All Star balloting. It's crazy, and he's going to surpass Trout because he's in New York. He's in New York, and he's six eight, six seven. He's a giant human being, which makes him just you know eyeballs go to him every you know even more than than Trout, who's just like kind of an average sized dude. Whereas you see Aaron Judge, like people are coming out to watch Aaron Judge. Everywhere the Yankees go, that's happening. Did you see that um, that beat reporter from Miami who was complaining uh, because Judge got so much attention after the 496 foot home run on Sunday, rightfully so. And then this beat reporter from Miami was complaining that Giancarlo Stanton has been doing this for five seasons at this point and never gotten half of the attention Judge is getting. Yeah, sorry, but Aaron Judge is a rookie. Aaron Judge is hitting 350 or 340, whatever. He's got the um, the ridiculous stats in his rookie year, and he's a New York Yankee. So, uh, sorry, sorry, John Car- Carlo, you're in Miami, and you did not put up numbers like this, right? You know, your first half of the, the of your yeah. rookie season. These are freak numbers. These are ridiculous numbers. I mean, these, John these don't Carlos, happen. It, it, let's also put it in perspective. We're not even we're halfway through June at this point, but. I mean, Stanton, while he's been a great power hitter, I mean, that's the really the main aspect of his game is power. Judge is doing everything right now. Yeah, and you said we're in June. You wouldn't know that if you looked at his numbers because you'd think they were, you know, you're well you know, past the all-star break at this point when you see the numbers that he's put up in his rookie year. True. It's ridiculous. So, And the New York factor is, I mean, that's just reality. It's huge. It's reality. Yeah. I mean... People don't care as much about sports in South Florida as they do in New York. Like, no. sorry if that upsets you, beat reporter from Miami, and who I'm too lazy to look up your name right now, but that's just the fact. Yeah, and the fact that it's beat reporter from Miami, because there's probably one or two, whereas <laughs> New York has like 40. You know, there's, there's a lot of people covering the New York Yankees in the New York area and all over the world, so... There's no comparison, and the fact that he's getting more attention is just 
common sense. I mean, it's obviously that's going to happen. A lot of people uh, say there is a Yankees hype machine and like that the media and fans will overhype players more than they're worth. And people point to Derek Jeter as an example of that. But for Aaron Judge, they're saying, no, he actually deserves every ounce of hype he's getting. Well, there's nothing that says he doesn't. I mean, when you have when you're backed up with the numbers that he's that he has, nobody can really deny it. I mean, really, anybody who who says anything negative about Aaron Judge is completely coming from a spiteful place because there's like there's nothing wrong with this guy at all. It's it's insane. There's nothing wrong. He's a perfect human being. It's almost so, weird, right? Like he was created in a lab. He was created in a lab. I think Rich tweeted that out, didn't he? He was the he's the perfect player. He's 100 on yeah, every on every ability. Player. Yep, yeah. Stat, yeah. juice it up on every, on every uh, every ability. Uh, do you want him doing the home run derby? Yes, I do. I do. I don't believe in the Bobby Abreu curse. I think that's a bunch of horse shit. I think uh, that that he would be so much fun to be in the in the in the derby. I you know I think still today my my favorite derby of all time was when Josh Hamilton was at Yankee Stadium and that that was the first year it was open right that was and um and he was just hitting moonshots and it looked like he was about to hit it out of the stadium. That's that's what we would see. I mean, no, that was old Yankee that, Stadium. Uh, was it the last year it of Old Yankee Stadium? Oh, Maybe that was it. Yeah, they haven't had okay. it at the new the new stadium. You're right. It was the last year of Yankee Stadium. That's what I'm thinking of. But yeah. having Aaron Judge going into the home run derby, and if you see Giancarlo Stanton on the other side of it, it's got. I be. mean, that's must that's must see TV, baby. Let's let's settle this in the home run derby, Miami. I mean, if baseball wants it to really promote the sport, they need to do that. I mean. Bryce Harper is also a face of baseball who has not done the home run derby. Like people always give LeBron shit for not never doing the dunk contest. Bryce yeah. Harper hasn't done the home run derby, but right now all anyone cares to see is Judge versus Stan. I mean, I think they would take a, a Judge versus Harper also. I think that would be a, a nice little a nice little matchup <laughs> as well. It's just, you know, baseball is in a is in an interesting place. I mean, the, everybody says that the pace of play is such a problem and and the ratings are down and all this. I mean, I don't really see it. Maybe just because we're so in, you know, inter, in mixed into baseball right now, and it's pretty much all I watch. But it seems to me like there's a lot of excitement around, uh, around the around the, the country with different teams, and um, you know, capitalizing that with with a guy like Judge and Stanton, and just seeing these two physical specimens go at it, I think it would be absolutely phenomenal to watch. You know, one thing though I've noticed about Judge and. He hits a home run 496 feet. It didn't look like he swung any harder than he does on every pitch, which is just like a nice fluid swing. Yeah, that's the beauty of him. He's refined his swing to a point where he is literally, I heard him talking the other day and how he was, you know, obviously they wanted him to shorten up the swing a little bit. But I think one of the big things he was talking about was actually having the, the bat through the zone longer. So if he's missing a ball, if he's late on a ball, he'll hit it down the opposite. Uh, you know, he'll go oppo with it, and he still has an opportunity to, to uh, you know, take a, to put a hit it hard and and keep it fair. And that's what he's doing. I mean, he's you're seeing that, and that's why these opposite field home runs are happening because that bat is staying in the in the strike zone longer, and you know he's he's able to uh, even when he doesn't get his best swing on it, he's still able to hit the ball, and it, a lot of time it goes out of the ballpark. Let's just hope if he does do the home run derby, he doesn't have a bad second half. Yeah, that's because fine. He's, because he's that's fine. what everybody will point to, and I just don't want to have to deal with that. I I think uh, I think that if he does the home run derby, like you said, it's not like he's 
he's not a guy that has to overexert to hit the ball out of the ballpark. He's not a guy that has to, he's not Bobby Abreu where he has to, you know, swing hard, even though Bobby Abreu actually had a nice smooth swing. That's a bad example. But some of these guys who go in this derby, like swing, you know, out of their shoes and Judge just doesn't have to do that. How did that happen, by the way? How the hell did Bobby Abreu win a home run derby? It's like Ichiro doing it. I don't know. He's just got that swing that can, uh, he, he just repeats it every single time. Right. Um, so what did you, th- what did you see out of Tanaka differently on Monday night than we've seen the last month? I think the biggest thing for me was the there was good late action on that two seamer. The two seamer was was really popping towards uh, towards the the outside of a left handed hitter, and there was late movement. He looked a lot more confident. the The splitter was working. He wasn't up in the zone. I mean, just everything. It just looked like he was a a different guy. It looked like he was the old Tanaka as far as like the facial expressions and just the way he was going about his business. Didn't look like he was thinking too much. I, I could tell after that first inning when he let up the home run, it was like, oh, here we go again. Here we go again. Because he let up that home run to uh, uh, the small dude who's been on fire right field, Calhoun. And, uh, you know, the look on his face was was almost shock. Like, he couldn't believe it went out, but he does that a lot. But ever, <laughs> after that at-bat, after that at-bat, he just, you know, it's kind of like uh, he, he just fell into his groove. And uh, and had confidence. I, don't, I think that's the biggest thing. You got to give Tanaka credit for acting like it's the first home run he's given up when he's given up nineteen of them. Yeah, he did act like that. He's like, I can't believe that ball just left the ballpark. It's, <laughs> it's like you've been there before, Tanaka. You should know what a home run looks like. Uh, Romine caught him, which is uh, back to the personal catcher thing. And this is while Gary Sanchez absolutely was on fire all homestand. But uh, Romine did catch Tanaka. Tanaka had the extra day rest as well. I know a couple podcasts ago you said that you looked at six days rest for Tanaka and it wasn't that much different. And while the ERA is basically the same as his career ERA, 3.51, he has a lower whip, a better batting average against, a higher K K to 9, K per 9 ratio. So his, his peripheral stats, like swings and miss stats, are all better. Yeah, but they just weren't as as dramatic as I was expecting. I was expecting to see almost night and day with the two thing, and I just didn't see that. And I think one of the I saw someone uh, I forget who it was, but someone was tweeting out the uh, the release point of Tanaka on this this last start and comparing it to some of his other starts. And apparently, it was you know when you're looking at the chart, it was a it was a Fangraphs chart or one of those websites, and. Dude was just repeating the the same arm slot, it seemed like, every single time. And he was a lot more consistent with it. And you could see where it was very similar to that Boston start that he had. And, you know, maybe that's something that has to do with it. That I think a lot of the, the mechanical things that they were tweaking were just kind of messing with him, honestly. Um, I think he moved back to the other to the original side of the rubber as well. So, like, trying to shake off all the crap that he's been doing and just right. go back to the basics and, and just remember that, you know, your, your muscle memory will take you there and... And just do what you've done. Like, quit thinking about all this bullshit and just go out and throw the ball. And I think that's what happened. And maybe the extra day, getting away from Yankee Stadium, going out west, you know, kind of clearing your head. Also, against a lineup that's not that great, missing the best player on their team. That, that Those are all good things mentally for Tanaka. Yeah, I mean, the lineup was, they had been on a hot streak. So they were they had come in as one of the hotter lineups of baseball, actually. So it's, um, I mean, I, I think, but... The alternative was him facing Baltimore at Yankee Stadium. I think this yeah, is a no, better I matchup. Uh, well, I, I also think it was, uh, first of all, Baltimore's seen him a lot more, right? And the other thing is that 
I, I agree with the location switch. Like, I think it was a better idea for him to kind of get away from the pressure of New York and, you know, go into Anaheim with kind of a clear head and that extra day rest, whatever you got to do, and just put him in a situation where, you know, there's there's a lot less of a distraction, whereas you're, you're in the pressure cooker of New York and going against the Orioles. So um, I, I, it was a good decision, I think. We'll see if it, hopefully he could build on it. I mean, that's the biggest thing is, is we need to see consecutive starts out of this guy. Right, because we saw a really good start against Oakland like three weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and he'll and- get Oakland again, right? Uh, yeah, Oakland he should, because it's a four-game series against Oakland. Uh, so he'll pitch Sunday against Oakland. Um, and that's also a great matchup, because that ballpark's huge. But, uh, I mean, so it, like you said, he needs to build on this, because he reverted after he had that good start against uh, Oakland. He reverted back to home run derby Tanaka. <laughs> yeah, no, he did. He definitely needs to. I think, so the way it sets up right now with, with this uh, this start already behind him in Anaheim, and then moving, you know, into Oakland, where he's already had success with these guys, and like you said, it's a giant ballpark. These are all things that you can build on as far as your your psyche, and just have have confidence going into that, knowing that you can succeed. And um, I think that's I think that's big for him. I really do. I think that he just needs to keep keep this going, keep the string going. So we, we need him. We need him right, man. We need him right. And I, I really do hope it's uh, it, it comes with uh, this next Oakland because. I do think he could build on it. It didn't anger you at all that Romine caught with Gary Sanchez lighting the world on fire. No, I'm, I'm, you're, you're I, over. I still it? don't think it's a thing. Yeah, I'm totally over it. Well, it's, it's a completely thing. over it. I, I guarantee you, Romine's going to catch on uh, his next start. Oh, we'll see. You want to make a little bet here? I bet yeah, he doesn't. Let's make a little bet. You in, bet he doesn't. In Oakland. Yeah, I in bet Oakland. he doesn't. Yeah, yeah. All right. What's the wager? It's uh, it's two Yankee Stadium beers. <laughs> okay, so a thousand dollars. Um, see, part of me is upset that I went to bed for this game because I would have had so much fun bashing Chase Headley for that error in the seventh inning. Oh, it was terrible. It was really bad. It was a really it bad error. They zoomed in on him afterwards because I yeah. watched the condensed game and he goes, my bad. Yeah, I really? saw it. You just completely missed a slow chopper and it's your bad. No shit, Chase. I mean, it was a, it was a complete whiff that he didn't even come close to the ball. It was embarrassing. It was, it was, it was a terrible, terrible, terrible play. Because Chase Headley does make really good plays at third base. He dives yeah. to both sides very well. And then when he mm-hmm. does dive, though, that's when the throws he makes are right chest high. I don't understand how he, he screws up the easy play so often. It's like if he has too much time to think, he screws it up. That's what it seems like, right? Because the he, I mean, even when you see his, when he was like really going over the top, it was at the beginning of last year. It was, uh, he would do it on a regular, just a, a routine ground ball, and then he yep. would just airmail it into the stands. It looked like he was just, throwing darts and not a baseball. Yeah, it's just so strange. And then this slow chopper, it's like almost his concentration lapse because it was so easy that he just, you know, took his eye off the ball. I mean, it's, it's just simple stuff. Yeah, and Clipper stuff. Clippard ended up giving up the run. Um, someone asked me on Twitter how many inherited runners Clippard has allowed to score, and he's only allowed three of 16. Which is actually above average. So, uh, and I and it doesn't saw, feel like that though. It doesn't it? feel it doesn't like feel it, right? Like because it. We're, we're I think with Clipper the eye test the stats are catching up with the eye test. Uh, he had a bad outing on Tuesday night as well. He gave up a home run to Eric Young Jr. Like you just cannot let Eric Young Young Jr. beat you. But you and I have been saying Clipper does not look as good as his stats are showing, and we kept saying it, and everyone was saying no. Look at his ERA. Look at his look at his strikeout numbers. It, and it just wasn't there in the eye test for me, and now the stats are finally catching up. 
Yeah, and I'm uh, so the inherited numbers that three of sixteen. That's that's anywhere, right? That's not in scoring position. That's just it could be a guy at first base. Yep, you inherit a runner um, on any base. He's allowed three of sixteen to score, which is above average. Actually, well above average. It's I don't know. I forget what average is. I was looking at it yesterday, but um, he was he was much better than um, a lot of people. Yeah. I guess it's it's just the high pressure situations where there's a one run game and there's a runner on second base. Those are the three times that we remember because they stick out so well. Yep. In our in our minds because uh, the I don't remember the other thirteen that he got, that he did well on. <laughs> that's how it always <laughs> that's, goes. Right? That's probably convenient. Yeah. Well, but but like I mean, allowing an inherited runner does not go into his ERA, so it's right. not a hundred percent his fault. It's bad. I mean, you should be able to get out of an inning. But it's the, the reason you're coming in the game. Exactly. I mean, he's a high-paid relief pitcher. He was a closer for many years. He sh- he needs to be better than this. And the home run, I mean, is 100% his fault. It was a meatball to Eric Young Jr. Like I said, he's not a home run hitter. He's barely a hitter. He's filling in for Mike Trout because uh, they needed another outfielder. It's inexcusable to give up a home run to, to him. Yeah, wasn't he a pinch runner on the Yankees last year at some point? Could have been. Maybe the year before that. I mean, Eric Young Jr., I'm pretty sure, was a, was a guy that was just coming in and uh, and running some bases. That That's it. Yeah, you can't give up that home run late in the game. I mean, that's that's a game that um, – or I'm sorry, that's a that's a home run that just absolutely doesn't doesn't happen. It's a especially with a, a high profile guy like that, and I, I think he is a high profile guy at this point. He is one of the you know the quote unquote elite you know late guys, and uh, he's not a closer, but he he needs to he needs to especially in a game like that he needs to come through. Chapman's coming off the DL next weekend is the reports. So once Chapman's back, Batances will be pitching in that eighth inning against Anaheim and not Clippard. So it's like we were talking about last time. Everyone's pitching one spot out of their role right now. And Clippert is clearly being exposed. I just don't know what that means because, I mean, you know, even in the seventh inning, we could have a 3-2 game and he could let up a home run to Eric Young Jr. It's it's just because Girardi's not really messing around with the guys and where they where the opponent is in their lineup, you know, it's what's what's the difference between the seventh and the eighth inning, though? You know well, I mean? like, you might not have to use a seventh inning guy because your starter might be still pitching. Yeah, I guess. That's just not happening all that often. The it's game also p- is, there's less pressure in the game at that point. Pressure is also a factor that you have that like doesn't show up in the box score. This is a guy that has been a relief pitcher for his entire career. I know, and, but and he's, he's not, feeling he's pressure against well right Eric, Eric Young Jr.? <laughs> I, guess I mean, so. if, if, if that's a problem, then if that's what's happening, we got bigger problems. Of I mean, course. Mental, mental toughness is the issue at that point, if that's the issue. I mean, I think I've, as much as I've gotten on Clippert, I think he's a better pitcher than we're seeing right now. And I think he can be an asset to this team. But right now, he's killing them. I guess. But at the same time, 3 out of 16 is, is <laughs> saying that he is an asset. Scoreboard, don't lie. Yep. It also doesn't lie for Didi, who uh, is Went four for four on Monday night. Three twenty-seven with runners in scoring position. Three eighty-three with runners on base. Clutch, Didi. It started last year. I mean, the guy has been ever since he's been able to start. Ever since he started hitting left-handed pitching, uh, he has been a machine with with uh, runners in scoring position with two outs. And you got two outs, and you need a big hit. Didi's the guy you want up because you know it seems like every time I look around in a big situation and Didi's up, he's coming through. Yeah, I mean and, a couple uh, of those hits. Again. A couple of those hits on Monday were kind of squeakers through the infield, slap jobs. But you know what? 
It's a hell of a lot more than other guys do in that situation. Yeah, I mean, he was on base five times, four for four in a walk. That's that's phenomenal. And to and the uh, two of the RBIs were with two outs. There were two out singles, and and drove in a run every single time. So look, the guy just it doesn't matter how he gets it done. He just gets it done. It doesn't matter. And uh, he's really just building upon that reputation. It's not it's not a fluky thing. It's not just something we saw you know for a short amount of time. This has been now his entire Yankee career basically thus far. He's coming up with big hits. So. Um, it's 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 really good to see and and having a guy like that surrounded with the the power bats, I mean that's perfect, man. You got a guy to set the table and you got a guy to uh, to come through when when you need it. So I love it. The construction of this lineup is just is just <laughs> so unbelievable deep. right now. Yeah. It's so deep. It and really it'll, is. It'll get deeper once Carter's out of there. Um, we got the question on Twitter. What do you think is the biggest steal from uh, a Brian Cashman trade? <clears throat> Getting Didi for Shane Green. Trading Adam Warren to get Starlin Castro, but then somehow getting Adam Warren back, or trading Jared Murphy for uh, Aaron Hicks. Yeah, and I just said I responded uh, yes because <laughs> got to pick one because they're all phenomenal. What about the Chapman uh, debacle? I mean the the amount of which amount one of trades Tra- huh? trading for Chapman from Cincinnati for for a bag of balls or yeah, getting Glyber Torres for I mean, Chapman. Taking advantage, taking advantage of a situation that was not ideal off the field, and Brian Cashman just dominating on the field because of it. A lot of people I aren't mean, happy about that, but yeah, between but I'm those just three, between those three, if you had to, if you could, you had to only have one of those trades right now, and the other two were off the roster. Which one are you taking? Man, it's got to be Didi. You have a starting shortstop for a long time. Uh, Starling Castro is right there, though. Yep, I think I agree with you. Uh, yeah, Hicks needs to keep doing what he's doing for that to, for him to even sneak into that conversation. Um, when Judge hit that home run, 438 feet opposite way in Anaheim, I mean, that looked like the Bronx in a playoff game. That's how many Yankee fans were there. That picture of Judge after he yeah. hits it running down first base, everybody is up and cheering. I counted three Angels fans. Yeah, it was, it's a ridiculous picture. It really is... Uh... <laughs> if you take a look at that and, and look closely, like you said, you cannot count. There's not much red in that picture at all. And uh, I'm telling you, that's the judge factor. The judge factor totally. is bringing people out of the woodwork in the all the ex the ex uh, New Yorkers, the, the the everybody who's moved around the country. They're all coming out to the ballpark. The Yankees have the highest home attendance this season, and it wouldn't surprise me if they have the highest road attendance either. People, it, I mean, Yankee fans are everywhere. And the last few years, this team has just been boring. It, it's not been likable either, but this is a likable team, and people are responding. Yeah, the likability has gone severely higher. Nobody wanted to see Alex Rodriguez in the twilight of his career. Nobody wanted to see Mark Teixeira. Nobody wanted to see any of these guys. They're not exciting. They're, 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 it's like, uh, you know, you yawn. I don't want to go out. To, I'm not paying to go see Alex Rodriguez, especially in a, an away game. I mean, it was just not happening. Nobody wanted to do it. Unless they wanted to just go there to boo him. CC left the game after the fourth inning on Tuesday with a hamstring strain. He's probably going to go to the DL. As you're listening to this, he might be on the DL. Um, he was pitching really well again, though. He was getting that backdoor breaking ball to righties, which it was a borderline strike. But if he's getting that pitch, he's really, really tough to hit. He was getting swings and misses on his fastball, too. So this is the thing, though, we have to deal with 37, 38-year-old CC is injury. Yeah, that was not a strike either. I mean, that that pitch was was a solid two to three inches outside. Are you talking about uh, the one the, to Pujols? Off the plate. It happened a few times. Yeah, I think it happened twice to Pujols. 
the um and it was low. The the ump was calling that pitch and it was great for CC Sabathia because he was just taking advantage of it sure. and throwing it there for That's the short amount of time do. he was in there. Yeah, Crafty so bets. It was a uh, it was it was a very it was a great day. It could have been a great day for him if he was able to uh, continue. But uh, yeah, man, it's a damn shame. And I blame one hundred percent Chris Carter, hundred percent because of this injury. <laughs> he didn't feel it before that last pitch and uh, before that last batter. And the only reason he was out there was because Chris Carter plays baseball with his eyes closed. And it's I've had enough of it. I cannot look at him anymore. <laughs> How do you miss that ball? I don't know. I've I like I've never seen a first baseman just totally like a third baseman whiffing on a slow chopper. I've never seen a first baseman have a ball thrown chest high and just clank off of his glove. I mean that's little league shit. I think I told you about the time when I was playing summer league ball and I was drinking uh I was drinking uh, Rebel Vodkas in the parking lot because that's what we did. We were a bunch of drunk idiots that played baseball. And I brought the wrong glove with me because I was an idiot. And I was playing first base, and this was a, like an old, old glove, and it was so worn in that it was like floppy. And I play, I was playing first base, <laughs> and every time the ball was thrown to me, the top of the glove would like fold over, and I and it would hit the fold, and I couldn't catch it, cause, and I didn't realize it was happening. It happened two or three <laughs> times, and I pulled myself in the beginning, in the middle of the inning, because I couldn't see the baseball. So that's you what pulled, I felt like you was pulled happening. yourself out of the game. I, I pulled myself out of the game. Yeah. Yeah. See, Chris Carter never should been pull himself before. out of the game for being. Yeah, too I agree. Yeah, no doubt about it. There's that's what you should do. If you're that bad, get out. And Just of course leave. of course the run scores, because that's what happens when bad errors like that happen. The run scores. Yes, it has to. It's uh it's car it's Chris Carter Karma. Good Chris news though. Carter Karma. Carter totally redeemed himself with a pop up with the bases loaded in in the eleventh inning with the Yankees. Uh could have taken the lead. Yeah, had the opportunity and uh typical Chris Carter. Just knock, uh, at least he made contact, I guess, right? He had an opportunity. Yeah, because, I mean, normally he strikes out, but then when you would like a strikeout instead of like a double play, that's when he'll ground into a double play. But it was a pop-out. Gardner popped out as well. Um, hey, again, I was asleep at this point, but that's a this is an annoying game overall between the injury, the bad error, the home run to Eric Young Jr., and the missed opportunities. This is just an annoying loss. Yeah. Rumor has it Tyler Austin sitting over three hundred in uh, in his rehab and all the all the games he's been playing down in, uh, in in Scranton. What the hell are they waiting for? Like honestly, I don't know. Haven't we gotten enough? I mean, you paid him what three million dollars? You've seen enough. <laughs> You're not going to get any more of a return on that on that uh, on that contract. So I mean, right now, losses. right now, Rob Ref Snyder is not playing. So yeah. what's he doing on the roster? Use yeah. if you want to keep Carter until Bird is fully healthy again, fine. But call Tyler Austin up. You you lose nothing by doing that. Yeah, you're right. Because ref's not playing. He's not playing. He's not playing well when he does play. So because well, he plays once a week. I know, but the thing is, bring him up. There's a spot there. That's I don't get it. And Bird's taking forever to come back. I mean, the first base situation somehow has not come back to bite them in the ass. But it for little games it does. So. I've had enough of Chris Carter. Everyone's had enough of Chris Carter. Yes, All right. Yes, we have. Uh, we've got more West Coast baseball, so I think I'm going to stay up for, for Wednesday night's game. We'll see how that goes. Uh, coming up, though, as I said, Clark Schmidt. So enjoy this interview coming up. Joining us on the podcast now is Clark Schmidt, the newest member of the Yankees organization. He was just drafted. Clark, thanks for doing this. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. 
First of all, congratulations. And uh, you just said it's been a whirlwind. So kind of describe that for us. Uh, I mean, yeah, like I said, it's been, it's been fun uh, past few days. I mean, the initial, uh, the initial announcement and once you see your name go across the board, it's kind of a, it's a lot of emotions and it's, it's kind of a weight lifted off your shoulders and it's a real, it's a really fun time. I mean, to be able to spend it with your family and your friends and the ones that helped get got you to this point and to be able to celebrate that moment, it's very special. It's good that you're, you're so you're home in, uh, you're in Georgia, right? Not, not back at school. I don't know. Do you, if you guys normally go home for the summers every time or you stick around uh, South Carolina? Yes, sir. Yeah. I went home. Uh, I went home for the summer. I mean, I was going to, I was, my initial plan was to spend the draft at home if possible. So I got to do that, which was good. So where were you for draft day? What were you doing? Uh, just at home, we had about 20 to 25 people come over, all friends and family and people that we've always been close with. And like I said, the people that helped me got to this point and which it's, it's cool to be able to celebrate. I mean, without these guys, I wouldn't be where I am. So to be able to celebrate it with them and, and give thanks to them is awesome. So you, uh, 16 picks go by before your name is called. You, you kind of knew you were going in the first round anyway, but not quite sure where in the first right. round. So like, how nervous were you for that first, however long it took hour or so before yeah, you got called? I mean, it was nerve wracking. Cause I mean, you know, you know, the teams that are interested in you, but at the end of the day, the draft is so unpredictable. Someone could call last minute and say, all right, we want this guy, this guy. So, I mean, it was nerve wracking going into it, but we knew the Yankees had interest. Um, and we knew that there was a possibility of them taking it 16, but we didn't know if it was going to come to petition or not, obviously, because it's so unpredictable. And then, um, obviously things fell my way and everything worked out and they ended up taking a shot on me and giving me opportunities. But it's, yeah, the, the first 16 picks or, or however long that took, it felt like it took a day uh, <laughs> or a day or two, but, uh, luckily it, it went by pretty quick for myself. So who's the guy that actually made, who made the phone call? Who, who'd you talk to when you got drafted? The initial phone call was the area scout, Billy Godwin. With uh, He's the area scout in South Carolina. And then I got to talk to the scouting director a little bit. But, I mean, we didn't get to talk I mean, too much in depth because they were all, it was still during the draft. So they, they had to go. And But the initial call was from the area scout. So we've had players on in the past who um, said – actually, we talked to Tyler Wade from the Yankees. And he said he found out he was drafted by finding out on TV. So did you get called first or did you see your name on was, TV first? No, it was, I got, actually, so I, I did find out. I got, the, I found out through a text. I was kept on, I looked down at my phone and I kept on getting all these tweets and people were tweeting me. And I looked down and they're like, congratulations, you got picked. So that's when I knew it was like official, but they had that special on the landing kid with, uh, during while he was announcing the pick. So my, uh, the, the announcement was like delayed, so I guess everyone it was already announced on Twitter, and it was coming through my phone, and then it's always that way. They announced on TV, yeah, I know. And then uh, I got the phone call, so I, I got I actually found out initially through my my phone. I think a lot of the writers actually it just I feel like they get all excited. They're like, yeah, I get to leak it before the TV even has it on there. I feel, yeah, I feel like that happens yeah, all the time. It gets a, when you're watching it, you're you're looking for the anticipation of the television, and then you got these guys on Twitter leaking it out. Like, come on, man, I'm trying to watch it. I know, running all the fun. <laughs> yeah. Now you you had to uh, make a pretty big decision to enter the draft, forego your senior year, 
And obviously the, the Tommy John surgery, that's a, that's a big thing. I, th- I think a lot of people want to know about that because going in the first round after already having the Tommy John surgery, just kind of talk to us about that, that whole, there's a whole bunch of decisions you had to make, I think, you know, in the last right. six months or so. So talk us through that. Right. Um, well, I mean, initially, the, obviously the, the, the first thought when you find out you have to have surgery is a blow, especially, I mean, it was in the midst of the, my, probably the best season of my career. I mean, I was throwing harder than ever, playing better than ever. I mean, everything was just kind of felt like it was kind of going your way, you know, and then you, you get that news and it was, it was just tough. And um, so I got, I got surgery and I got surgery May 3rd. And then after the surgery, I mean, the initial shock, I mean, you, you figure you're not going to, they're like, oh, wow, it's going to hurt my draft stock. And it ended up hurting it a little bit. But, I mean, uh, it obviously didn't affect me too much. It's still, I still got picked by a great organization and one of the best with, with the, way they, the way they handle people and the way they rehab guys. And I couldn't be happier to be picked by the Yankees. And, um, but it was just – it was initially, like, it, it kind of blows you away. And you're like, what am I going to do? How is this going to affect my future? And so it, it's tough when you first find out. To, so to be able to still go in the first round and – these guys to think this highly of me and give me this opportunity it's it's a blessing i think i was reading something today actually that you've had a few teammates who have gone through tommy john surgery and just the i mean the yankees organization james caprellian who's a young pitcher as well had tommy john surgery this spring as well so have you talked to any of those guys what have they told you about the whole process yeah i mean uh, a lot probably um, i don't know if you're familiar will crow he was a he was a second rounder from our team this year. We were real close and he, um, he had Tommy John surgery actually last year and for him to, or a year and a half ago, I think, and for him to, to go through and he told me about what to expect and all the other guys on the team did as well. And the, what's so good about the surgery now is it's kind of, it's, it's, it's grown a lot in the past few years and it's a very progressive surgery and the success rates are high. And it's kind of, it's kind of like the way you, the way you do your rehab and how you handle yourself off the field. Um, whether how how much you dedicate to to putting into your arm and kind of trying to get it back to health is that's that's the main thing. It's the surgery is pretty successful and it's gotten to the point where it's all about how you how you uh, how much time you put in off the field and on the rehab. So that's the main thing they've been telling me is it's just the way you handle yourself and you just got to stay the course. And obviously it's a long time for rehab, but it, it kind of goes by once you start throwing and start tossing and. Um, once you start uh, getting into the to the mix of things, it will go by pretty quickly. Can you talk to us about how your arm actually feels after the surgery? Like, are, is it is it just a loss of strength immediately afterwards, and you kind of have to build up the yeah. you know, every, for everything from your hand down to your forearm to your elbow? Right. Is that is that kind of the, the, it's the way it kind is? Of, yeah, it's kind of like that. I mean, after you get surgery, you have to be in a brace for about five months. I mean, five months, five weeks, and. Um, so you have to be like a, like a bionic arm type thing. It's this weird deal. And you got to be in that for like five weeks. And that kind of like, that's when you lose your strength. A lot of it. I mean, your, your arms just sitting there and it can't, I mean, you're not really moving it around. You're not supposed to move it around very much. And then you get every like two weeks, you get more degree. It has like a degree on it where you can, you get more mobility and more range of motion. And so the goal of it is to gradually gain rate, uh, range of motion without like using it a lot and, and decreasing the strength. So when I got that arm brace off about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. And, um, so I, I've been doing rehab for about a week and a half, two weeks and, and it's gone really, really good. The progression does days are, it's really, it's, it's honestly surprising. I didn't think I would be able to gain my range of motion back this quickly. And, um, I was actually working, I work with a therapist right now 
until I sign and go down to Tampa or wherever they send me to do rehab. I've been working with a, a guy who worked with the Braves for about eight years, and he was their uh, main physical therapist. And he's it's been pretty. He's like uh, talking about how well he's I've gained my range of motion back already, and how the progressions I've made have come so quickly, which is which is a good thing. And it's very reassuring. Yeah, that's that's very good news. I mean, the surgery has come along, like you said. It's it's leaps and bounds in what it used to be. Now, did they did they have any other options on the table? I know there's like platelets or plasma or whatever the hell it is. There's all right. these other op- options. I think that yeah. that can be done without going under the knife. Were those on the table as well? Um, I don't really think so. I mean, I, I going into it, I, I wouldn't want to do that. I didn't want to do a PRP shot or any of those things. I mean, I know I know the when people do that typically when people do those it kind of really just delays the process i feel like and i feel like the best way for me and the best choice for me was to go under the knife and um for do the surgery i, I knew it was like a, like we were talking about it's comes it's come so far and the surgery is so successful i mean if you if you do the right time and you wait a little bit and obviously it's a longer longer process but in the end it'll pay off and um i mean it, it's so it was it was that was the initial thing but I mean, the, when they went in and looked at my arm, they said the tissue was great around it, and there was no no other damage. The main damage was just on the ligament, which was very reassuring. So we know you got uh, rehab, you know, for uh, a long uh, year and a half, about maybe shorter, hopefully shorter. What are you doing with yeah, your time so- otherwise? How are you occupying your time? Uh, I'm a I'm a big lifter. I like to work out a lot and. Um, I mean, well, I, you can I like only to, do so um, much with that with that yeah, range of motion. I was like, Clark, come well, on, I mean, man. I gotta come do, on, I gotta, let's, let's relax I gotta do a, a little lot bit of lower body. So, yeah, <laughs> I got to do a lot of lower body. I got to bulk that up and work on my core. So that's that, that's something I take up my time with. And um, yeah, I'm a big I'm a big outdoors person. I granted I can't do much, but I like to fish and stuff. And um, I used to before before the surgery, I was a big golfer, but I can't golf for a while. So well, this I is a chance. Time off that. This yeah. is a chance to get your left bicep up to the, the yeah, same size right. as the right bicep because everyone's always got the strong arm that's a little bit stronger. So get that left one yeah. going. Yeah, I'll even it out a little bit. Yeah. I'll, I'll be watching. But pretty much the only thing I do to spend with my time is watch a lot of baseball and I hope uh, make up for the time. So so you are a like baseball something. fan. You're a base, You're a fan of baseball off the field, right? Yeah, I, I love baseball. I mean, I, I mean, I grew up around it and. I mean, it's something that obviously it's huge in my life. I love, I mean, I, I could sit here and watch baseball all day and I, I actually enjoy watching games and learning stuff and trying to always trying to add something to my repertoire and being able to, you can always learn something with watching more. You never know enough. So, well, finally we found somebody, Scott, because most of the players we've talked to say they kind of get their fill of baseball on the field and off the field. They don't really watch much of it. So uh, yeah. obviously that wasn't the case with you. You were a Braves fan growing up. Yeah, growing up in Atlanta, I was a Braves fan, and always uh, I think that's kind of something that's inputted into your head whenever you grow up around Atlanta. So being so, from Ackworth, you have uh, there's a couple of guys in the organization in AAA right now, actually, uh, Frazier and Austin, who are I think pretty close to to where you are, maybe an hour away or so. Did you know yeah. these guys or know of them at all uh, when you were? I actually, yeah, I actually played with Clint Frazier. He was on my travel team uh, throughout high school. We both played for Team Elite. Um, which is a, a Georgia uh, travel baseball team, and so I played with him. I think 17 year or 16 year, one of the years, and because uh, he was a year older than me, so I played up a year and played with their team, and then so I played a couple tournaments with him. So yeah, I, I did know him throughout high school. You're not trying to compete with him in the weight room, are you? Are we are we doing that because? Uh... Yeah, <laughs> I, I need to get to that level. Hopefully, I can. Uh, hopefully, I can get looking like him. 
How much? Uh, how much bulk do they say for pitchers to put on? Um. Well, it kind of depends. It's really like personable. I mean, it's kind of like how how you want to manage yourself. I mean, going into I was always a skinny kid. I was a, I was always a pitchability type guy. that never threw really hard. And then when I got to college, I weighed like 165 pounds, and I was like. I was like the skinniest kid, and then uh, how tall were you? Of, uh, six, six, one, six, two. I'm, I'm not Jesus. Six, two, I know I was real Rail skinny, thin. So. You got to get you into that dining hall, fill you up with some mashed potatoes yeah, or something. I, and then I got to the point where the end of junior year, I was about 212 pounds. So yep. yeah, I put on a lot of weight. So the freshman that, fifty, kind of, I see. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the weight I want to play at. I mean, I like to I like to be around 212, 210. I, don't, I mean, that's where I feel most comfortable, and, and, and that's where I feel most healthy at. So. We call that a healthy weight. Yes, sir. That's exactly right. Yeah, taking you got to take advantage of those chicken patty days. I mean, those are those don't come around very often. Yeah, <laughs> get extra ones. That's exactly right. Very good. So you know, being down in uh, in growing up in Georgia, can you take us back to uh, just growing up? You know, how was your uh, how was your your childhood. What were you doing? Are you playing? You playing baseball year round? Are you on? You, you said travel teams. You were playing with uh, with right. Frazier. Are you um? Are you playing any other sports when you were a kid, or was it just strictly baseball year round? Uh, growing up, I, I mean, I have a brother who's two years older than me who actually he's in the Detroit Tigers organization, and um, so he, we we were always very competitive, and we were always doing something. So uh, I played uh, baseball, basketball, and football growing up until high school, and then I played uh, a little bit of basketball, and then I just just stuck to baseball, but. Uh, we were always doing some sport, whether it was uh, it was to the point I, I was doing baseball and like travel leagues and stuff like that. But uh, it was more more or less doing other sports as well. So it wasn't kind of baseball all year round. And then and then it kind of got to the point when you got to high school, it was kind of that it was baseball all year round. So that's that's where I knew I, I could I ha- kind of ha- I could make my ticket in baseball. So that's when I stuck to it and just uh, just stuck with baseball. With you and your brother being so good at baseball, did people think you were related to Mike Schmidt? Yeah, we actually got that question a lot. And we are not related to him at all. It'd be pretty cool to be related to him, though. So before this podcast, before we started recording, <laughs> Scott said, I bet he doesn't even know who Mike Schmidt is. But you're a fan of baseball, yeah. so of course you know who Mike Schmidt is. Yeah. But oh, I'm yeah. sure there's some kids your age who have never heard of Mike Schmidt, which makes yeah, me sad. No. Yeah, it's it was all older people asking that. Nobody, <laughs> nobody my age knew it. Yeah, see, he's been asked the question before. That's how he knows. Ninety five percent of people don't know who he is at that point. <laughs> well, I mean, the, well, Clark, you were born in what nineteen ninety six. That was the year that uh, the your newest organization beat your favorite organization. So, I mean, <laughs> of course, right. you didn't watch Mike Schmidt play. Neither did no, I. I didn't watch but, it. <laughs> uh, um, awesome. So, uh, growing up, who who was your favorite player? What kind of players were you emulating? Uh, favorite player growing up was definitely Chipper Jones. I mean, that's kind of the the, the norm around here. And, but also, I love Tim Hudson. I mean, he was he was another one of the ones I love to watch play and pitch. And um, but yeah, those are the two guys growing up. I mean, in that younger when I was younger in that generation that I love to watch. I love the fact that Chipper Jones has uh, trolled the Mets for the the rest of his life by naming his kid Shay. I think it's hilarious. It's the greatest. Yeah, move. that is funny. <laughs> Respect oh. to that. I was going to say, when you were watching a game, being a pitcher, would you sort of be in the head of the pitcher trying to pitch along with him? Uh, when I was younger, no. I mean, not. Uh, I mean, that wasn't the case. But when I got to, when I started getting to like late high school years and like senior, and then when I got to college, and yeah, whenever I watch a game, I kind of, it kind of, you kind of get that little maturity factor, and 
when you're younger and you're watching baseball, you're just watching it and enjoying it. But when you get to the point where you're actually trying to learn something and you get older, that's when you uh, you can I mean you can watch, you can learn so much just by watching big leagues play and the way they handle themselves and you learn a lot by the way, especially a pitcher, the way they they pitch guys and the way they pattern things. It's cool. All right, Clark, we got a question from one of our fans on Instagram. Anthony Simone on Instagram asks, if you could compare your pitching style to someone, who would it be? And then a second part of that is, uh, who are you most excited to learn from within the Yankees organization? Um, my, I've, I've always been interested in comps, and someone that I've always been comped to is either uh, Zach Greke or Tim Hudson. I mean, both of those guys, they're kind of like strike throwers and they've always been competitive guys. That's, I, I pride myself on uh, competitiveness. I mean, if you've ever seen me pitch or anybody who's seen me pitch, they'll tell you I, I pitch kind of mean and I pitch with like a chip on my shoulder. And that's kind of how I was raised is to always play like that. And um, so that, those are two guys I, I could see myself most. And plus, they're kind of like four or five pitch, pitch guys who throw all pitches for strikes. And that's kind of how I've always been. I've always been able to throw what I want in the zone and, and, and kind of go from there so those are the two guys and then i mean anyone in the organization from learning 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 from anyone in the organization would be good i mean like i said the development guys and the way the yankees are and the tradition and the the way they handle pitching it's amazing they have i've only heard outstanding things about their, their development guys and the way they handle their pitchers so anybody i can learn from from anything it's going to be good so so on the mound, what uh, you said you're a strike thrower. Uh, what's your what's your pitch mix? Uh, four seam, two, four seam, two seam, slider, curve, changeup. But I, I throw uh, my typically my fastball is more like a sinker type. But uh, it all, my, I can make it. My two seams obviously it has two seam action, but my four seam has a little bit of sink on it. If you're in a big spot, bases loaded, two outs, and you need to get a guy out, what are you going to? Uh, typically, my slider is my out pitch. I mean. That's what I usually get all my strikeouts on, and that's what I uh, that's what I've, I've got all my bread and butter from. So, so with that, it sounds like from just the the, the repertoire that you have with the uh, with the downward action on that four seam, are you are you trying to get ground balls? Is that is that are you you consider yourself a ground ball um, pitcher? No, I mean, growing up, I was a ground ball pitcher, and then I got to college, and uh, when I started throwing really hard, my junior, my sophomore and junior year, I became a strikeout pitcher. So, okay. I mean, obviously I enjoy strikeouts as much as the next pitcher. So I kind of think of myself as a, a, yeah, a ground ball strikeout guy. I mean, if, when I need to get a strikeout, I'll get a strikeout, but if I can get someone to roll over on the first pitch, then I'm definitely going to do that to save my pitch count. Yeah. Definitely. That's smart because, uh, chicks dig the guys who strike people out, not the guys who get six, four put outs. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly right. I'm trying to strike someone out. I don't want to. I don't want to get ground balls. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but but pitching, but pitching coaches love those ground balls because you're out of the. Yeah, that's right. Keep that pitch count. Down. Yeah, no, we'll save that pitch count. Go deeper in the game. No, but I love. I like going deep in the games and getting a lot of ground balls. So if I can save my pitch count and save my bullpen by going deep in the game, then uh, that's that's the main goal. So it's a. Uh, I, I also read today that you um, even after you had the surgery, you really enjoyed being in the dugout with your teammates in college baseball. What was your favorite part about playing college ball? Uh, favorite part about playing. I mean, it's just so fun. I mean, college baseball, it's it's really fun. I mean, to be in, with the guys every day. That's probably the best part, just being with the guys every day. And you have classes with each other, and you live in each other with each other in the dorms, and you're all roommates, and so you're around each other all the time. And so it's a lot of fun. I mean playing with each other it's kind of like uh it's just i don't know it's it's a lot of fun and very enjoyable especially when you're winning um but i mean it was 
after the surgery, I did enjoy being in the dugout, but there was, it was getting to the point where, I mean, it was really hard to, to watch games. I mean, that, that was the, probably the toughest part after the surgery was watching people, watching uh, us play and wishing you could be out there and wishing you could help the team and other than just rooting them on and being a cheerleader a little bit. And, but, uh, I had to do what I had to do and, uh, I had to grab my pom poms and I guess root for the root from the dugout for a little bit. There you go. Yeah, you wanted to be out there competing. Totally understandable. Well, Clark, thank you so much for doing this. Good luck on the recovery, and hopefully we see you on the mound sooner rather than later. Yes, sir. Well, thank you all for having me. Y'all have a great day. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show... We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.